0: The following pre-recorded program is paid for by SSI Guardian. Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. With your host, psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark and co-host Debbie Nash. Living Well with Dr. Pegg explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics. Brought to you by SSI Guardian. Living Well with Dr. Pegg shares effective and practical psychological strategies based on biblical principles for living well. To learn more about the show or Dr. Pegg's mental health consulting and publishing services, visit drpegradio.com. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark.
1: I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg. Living Well with Dr. Peg is brought to you by our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education. Now, in a situation where your life is on the line, are you prepared? If you found yourself in an active shooter situation, would you know what to do? Receiving quality training will make all the difference. And to help me explore what quality training should look like, My guest is Mr. Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. And SSI Guardian is not only the sponsor of the Living Well with Dr. Pegg show, but they truly are the leader in advanced safety education and solutions. Michael Yorio, thanks for being with me today, and welcome to the program.
2: Well, thank you, Dr. Peggy, and uh, thank you for that warm introduction. It's great to be on your show.
1: I appreciate you taking the time to be with us by telephone today. Now, Michael, first let's kind of get everyone on the same page. Uh, we throw that term around active shooter or active killer, armed gunman, mass shooting. Uh, what exactly is an active shooter?
2: So defined by the Department of Homeland Security, an active shooter is defined as an individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a combined or populated area. And in most cases, active shooters use firearms, hence the name active shooter. Um However, there have been violent incidents involving other weapons such as a knife. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are no patterns or methods to their selection of victims. So typically, these are random acts. so there is a distinct di- di- a distinction between an active shooter that may be a lone individual and an act of terrorism.
1: Mm. Wow. So this is really, you know, for some listeners on a Saturday afternoon driving in the car, they may kind of be caught off guard to hear us talking about something like this. But it really is a sign of the times. Um, Unfortunately, uh, while these killings and these events are not uh, statistically likely, it just seems like they're happening pretty frequently.
2: That's absolutely right. In fact, unfortunately, this is a trend that's growing, that's headed in the wrong direction, meaning that it's uh, going upward. Um, In the past several years, annual shootings have increased, and this is based on statistics shared with us from the FBI. Um, As we have seen lately, whether you're looking uh, at a a school, at a nightclub, at a theater, uh, we we saw in Orlando um, there was a shooting at the nightclub. Uh, more recently in Germany at a theater. So these incidents continue to evolve, and it's very, very hard uh, to predict. In fact, there is no way of predicting where that next incident may happen. Um, In a lot of cases, people take on that false sense of security that it could never happen at my school, at my place of work, in my community. Uh, And the facts are we truly don't know where that next incident will happen. Mm -hmm. So it is an unfortunate scenario that we are dealing with.
1: Yeah, very unfortunate. Well, tell me a little bit about how SSI Guardian was established and why in light of all that's going on today.
2: Sure, absolutely. So SSI Guardian – We are part of a much larger organization by the name of School Specialty, Inc., who is a leader in the education space for more than 57 years. Recognizing the need, and the need both in the educational community and communities in general, the need for a better solution and a better approach to mitigate these threats. Now, there's absolutely no way to prevent against such violent acts 100%, but there is a lot lot we can do to help mitigate threats. Given our collective backgrounds, we all come from the protective security world. So we've trained national and even global law enforcement in these specific situations, how to breach a school if there's an active shooter at a school or at a organization. So for years, we've been training and we have a deep understanding of how law enforcement is trained and how law enforcement and first responders will respond to these events. The missing piece of all of this was that's great, and our our first responders do an absolutely amazing job, but civilians really have not been trained on what they can do as an immediate responder. So the actions that one takes before law enforcement can get on the scene and take meaningful action, quite frankly, can mean the difference between surviving and not surviving such a violent incident.
3: Mm.
2: And it all starts with that advanced training planning,
1: and preparation. Wow. So you've got a lot of expertise, and your team has a lot of expertise in law enforcement first responders, but I'm fascinated by that concept of an immediate responder um, Mm. before law enforcement gets there or before the paramedics get there if there there are injuries. Um, There are all the people who are in that venue who are potential victims. They also are... Responders, immediate responders. So your your training targets those folks to to make them more equipped.
2: Absolutely. Um, We empower individuals with a set of skills that enables them to make the best possible decision in that situation. No two incidents are 100% correct. So it may be easy to say, you just run, you evacuate, you do this or do another action, But the facts are, you don't know if you will always have that opportunity to evacuate. So So providing a a plethora of solutions and options to individuals is key. And then training individuals on being that immediate first responder should one of their colleagues become injured, having the right equipment and being trained with that equipment to help save a life before the professionals can arrive on scene. Wow. Very, very important.
1: Yeah. It seems like there would be a lot for someone to learn. Um, it, that it seems a little overwhelming. Um, you know, shootings take place in schools, places of business, uh, government properties, open spaces, healthcare facilities, places of worship and, and residences. And, and we can look at kind of the statistical breakdown. Um, FBI, you know, has, has a lot of statistics on kind of where these active shooter incidents take place. Um, So, really, it means that we should all be trained, Um, and you're saying we can't be trained in every last detail of what to do um, in every situation. So, we're kind of looking at maybe some broader principles that we can apply in all these varieties of of, uh, environments?
2: It can be overwhelming, Dr. Petty, but it really doesn't need to be. It's grasping and achieving and understanding of these principles, practicing these principles, Mm -hmm. So in turn, they, at some point, hopefully will become second nature and instincts will uh, take over. Um, So that's why the practice is so important. But obviously, we have to be trained before we can actually practice these life-saving strategies.
1: Yeah, good. A lot of
2: it, quite frankly, is a lot of it is common sense. And when we run our advanced safety education trainings, uh, people shake their heads and say, wow, why didn't I ever think of that? mm. Well, you really wouldn't unless you had this conversation in the past, and unless you have the conversation with trained professionals, um, you might come up with a scenario that wasn't uh, your best option.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you mentioned kind of in your introductory remark, remarks that um, in terms of the definition of an active shooter, they can be unpredictable, and so we don't necessarily know where someone is going to um, target. And, and how it's going to unfold, but there's certainly we've seen enough of these incidents to see here are some possibilities that people can be trained in. Um, we also know um, in school shootings, for example, um, 93% of shooters exhibited behavior that caused others to be concerned before they uh, executed their attack. Uh, 93% of attackers planned the attack ahead of time, and so that really tells us there are some identifiable signs We can observe before an attack occurs when we know what to look for. But that speaks to the importance of training, doesn't it? That if people can be trained and more knowledgeable in what these identifiable signs are um, in terms of evolving violence and signs that um, someone's planning an attack or even what these concerning behaviors look like um, when someone's moving on that path to violence, we might be able to prevent or intervene before violence occurs if we have the right training. Isn't that true?
2: Absolutely. That's 100% true. We must first know what the threat is before we can identify that threat mm-hmm. and then having to the correct policies and procedures in place at your workplace so we know what to do with this information. Um, just identifying a threat uh, is only one step in the process. What we do with that information uh, will really make the difference. Uh, and to your points, and your, your statistics are spot on, but a lot of people don't realize, specific to school shootings, 95% of the school shooters were current students. Mm. So the majority of the um, gunmen are existing students. So it's important to, uh, to recognize this is an internal threat. So I know schools like to uh, devote a lot of resources to external threats, such as ID badges, visitor access, surveillance cameras, these are all great steps in an overall security initiative, but none of these truly addresses that internal threat of an active shooter at a school.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I serve on a what's called a behavioral intervention team uh, at Community College of Aurora, and it, it's a team, a multidisciplinary team, that brings um, – folks from different um, aspects of the college together to be able to pull together information that um, people out in the community or the campus might be making some observations and they kind of keep that information to themselves. But a behavioral intervention team provides a central location for that information to come together with a, a trained team in place who can evaluate the threat, make appropriate recommendations and actually get students um, and or faculty members the help that they need um, before they become violent. And not to say that everyone in distress will become violent, but if we can just have a team in place that assists people in distress, we might actually be able to help them and perhaps prevent that small percentage of folks who might become violent. And so there's there's a, a whole lot of elements to... Safety and violence prevention. Um, As you mentioned, it's not just ID badges. It wouldn't just be a behavioral intervention team. It wouldn't just be knowing how to evaluate threats. There's a lot of components, and you're going to talk more about that in our next segment. Uh, You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark, and my guest today is Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a closer look at the different environments where active shootings can take place and the appropriate responses to them. We'll look at schools, hotels, nightclubs, churches. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: One needs to look no further than today's headlines to understand the threats facing American schools. They remain soft targets for violent threats, and yet our schools go largely underprepared. Our children deserve the highest level of education in the safest learning environment possible. The SSI Guardian QAL, or Quick Action Lockdown, is the fastest and safest way to lock down a classroom. This revolutionary device provides schools with maximum locking protection while meeting all safety, fire, and building codes. Designed by the leading lock experts in the world, the QAL is the only lock that meets Department of Homeland Security primer recommendations, SSI Guardian QAL, now makes classroom lockdowns fast and safe with the red button. As a parent, you have every right to demand that your child is afforded the best classroom protection. Take action today by calling SSI Guardian at 877-878-5800 or go to guardianprotect.com. That's guardianprotect.com. To learn
0: more about Living Well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. We're talking with SSI Guardian's Michael Yorio, and you can learn more about Michael and SSI Guardian at guardianprotect.com. Michael, thank you for being with us today.
2: Great to be here, Dr. Peggy.
1: Yes, so you're giving some great information, some things that um, many people may not have really thought about, probably don't really want to think about, but that attitude of it couldn't happen here and it's too painful to think about really isn't helpful in keeping us safe, is it?
2: It's absolutely not. And one thing people fail to realize in a lot of cases, um, education is only second behind commercial organizations that have been impacted by these sorts of shootings Mm. and incidents. So it's a very, very uh, real scenario. And the likelihood is unfortunately higher than any of us would ever want it to be.
1: Absolutely. Well, again,
2: something we mentioned earlier, we just don't know where that next event might happen. mm -hmm. Um, Folks in Columbine never thought it would happen there in Sandy Hook.
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Whatever school has has been victimized by these horrible, horrible acts – no one thought it would ever
1: happen. Yeah. And, you know, this show is broadcasting out of Colorado, and Columbine really has been become synonymous with school shooting, unfortunately. Um, and we even look at that as a warning sign. If you have someone who seems really fixated with studying the details of Columbine and kind of uh, looks up to that as something that they'd like to um, emulate, that's really a big red flag. And so, what what makes schools so vulnerable to being targeted? And, and we can talk as well about higher education environments. Um, unless you, you feel it's important to really look at them separately,
2: mm-hmm. there are many r- threat risks that face education communities today, both on the K through 12 side and higher education. Um, but I'll start with the K through 12, and some of these uh, threat risks uh, are are germane to both verticals. Most schools, unfortunately, uh, have taken a check-the-box mentality when it comes to advanced training for their safety. Um, There's a perception out there that free training is your solution, that watching a 30-minute video is your solution, that hearing a lecture for 60 minutes is your solution, when in fact uh, these are all positive steps and we encourage those sorts of activities. But truly, unless you go through a evidence-based research-based vetted advanced safety education training the school is really not pursuing their best option available Mm. so it truly all starts with training the second big challenge that schools have is on the product solution side what i mean by that simple example is door locks Uh, we learned in ucla that there were no locks on the doors now that is not uncommon that happens throughout America, both on the K-12 through 12 and higher education spaces. And although that sounds very simpler, simple, and we all presume that, sure, a school, a university is going to have door locks because door locks help keep us safe, reality tells us different. So it's, it's a lot of basic – I know Colorado's a big football state with the Denver Broncos winning the Super Bowl and all – it's a lot of blocking and tackling, but you've got to do the basics first before you can become an expert.
1: Hmm. And so locks so we, would be an example of something really basic.
2: Something very basic would be a door lock, and not just a door lock that's a basic, inexpensive lock, but a door lock that provides you a best-fit solution based on security best practices. For an example, a deadbolt locking mechanism that locks as easily as pressing a red button that's based on Department of Homeland Security's recommendations following the Sandy Hook incident. Training is is very, and I don't mean that training is basic because it's not uh, one truly needs advanced training, but basic in the respect that it's a activity that no matter what you do in life, you need training. If you're an educator, you don't wake up one day and become an educator or a professor. It comes from training and practice and repetition. And safety is no different. It's that basic situational awareness that people achieve through our advanced training. And,
1: and to your and, point
2: earlier, knowing what to look for. Yeah.
1: And so, so Michael, it, it really isn't just about, okay, I do one Thing. I, I attend one training, even a full day training. Um, it, you mentioned practice. And so uh, there are so many elements that we might encounter and we can't predict. And so it, it seems like it would be an ongoing process, not even just the right training with the right information, but it, it isn't just do it once and then you're done. You're good. One and done and you're and you're good. It's kind of an ongoing right. thing, uh, uh, given the environment that we're living in today. Unfortunately, this probably isn't going away anytime soon. And so we kind of have to have a, a long-term approach even to our training and our solutions, don't we?
2: An effective security initiative is comprehensive in nature and is ongoing. It, it's always going forward. It's always advancing. Best practices change.
1: Mm-hmm yeah
2: so it's similar to the fashion industry that <laughs> fashion is never finished right something yeah. is always changing in the apparel world uh security is no different after each incident there are lessons learned mm-hmm. new best practices are born better solutions from security professionals are developed vetted and proven successful yeah so absolutely practice 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 mm-hmm.
1: and we learned from columbine Uh, when law enforcement evaluated and debriefed that tragedy, they changed. The law law enforcement response has changed as a result. And so um, people might not think about um, research and and evidence and experts in terms of evolving um, recommendations, but that's just the perfect example, um, how law enforcement responds is totally different today.
2: That that is a perfect example, Dr. Peggy. In fact, uh, one of our team members was on that investigation that, to your point, helped change the way law enforcement responds. Uh, In the past and at the time of Columbine, um, the standard, and it would vary from department to department, but a certain number of law enforcement people had to be on site before you could enter that building, whereas now they're trained that the first person on site enters that building. Mm -hmm. So that could be a police officer in uniform it could be a police officer in plain clothes a detective so it could be various people but whoever is first on scene is now responding recognizing that you have to cut that response time down as fast as possible and take significant action as soon as you can these events are very very quick Mm -hmm. on average eight to ten eight to twelve minutes is the length of an active shooter incident Mm -hmm. Obviously, some go much longer than 12, and and many are much fewer than 8. So you got to think about that. If something is 8 minutes or less, how long does it take law enforcement to get there? Mm -hmm. Depends where you live. Depends on traffic. Depends what other crisis law enforcement is responding to at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of variables. And that's another thing the public needs to be aware of and recognize that do not get fixated on averages. If your response time is six minutes on average, that does not guarantee they will be there in six minutes. Uh, What's the old adage? If it can go wrong, Mm -hmm. it will go wrong.
1: Well, and that just really points once again to the importance of each individual being empowered to make decisions, like you said, to have that situational awareness, to even recognize Um, something even in advance, something that's evolving before someone makes that decision to be violent. And certainly in the moment that the crisis is unfolding, being empowered to make choices to know what to do to possibly save your life and other people's lives. And so, again, um, one reason why I have this show is to educate the public about mental health issues, wellness issues, and safety issues. And so I know our listeners are getting some good information that will empower them right away and hopefully motivate them to seek um, uh, appropriate solutions for their environments. Now, we were talking about K-12, and um, there's some similarities. You mentioned UCLA in terms of the example of LOX. But in terms of higher education, I imagine there are different challenges with them. We're dealing with predominantly a different age group. We have possibly larger campuses, multiple buildings open access, where it's more restricted access to uh, enter a building in K-12. Pretty much anyone can come onto a college campus, and we have a mingling of community with staff and faculty and students um, in multiple types of buildings, large auditoriums. And, you know, it occurs to me as I'm describing uh, higher ed environments, that there there's a lot of overlap and similarities with um, houses of worship and, and church environments as well. And we have uh, just about a minute and a half, um, two minutes. Um, talk a little bit about some of the vulnerabilities or challenges with uh, higher ed, and I'm kind of making the comparison and similarity with um, houses of worship as well.
2: So college campuses are extremely challenging uh, for many of the points that y- you just uh, stated. Mm-hmm. They're In a lot of cases, very large, um, 24-7 sort of an environment, a lot of non-students, non-employees on campus, and whether it's visitors, some universities that are in urban areas are uh, intertwined uh, with that community. So there are no set boundary lines in a lot of cases. So it's very important, uh, both through K through 12 and higher education, that that security initiative and that advanced training is tailored to meet that school's specific security challenges and goals.
1: Yeah, every every school will be different. Every campus will be different, uh, as you they mentioned.
2: Absolutely, they are absolutely different yeah. and unique. And,
1: um, and just this different
2: is why buildings, self programs not designed to suffice their needs are the best solution.
1: Mm-hmm. And on any given campus, there will be, you know, a small classroom, a small office, a huge auditorium, an outdoor amphitheater, and so different challenges. Uh, You're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg, brought to you by SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education. To learn more about SSI Guardian, visit them at guardianprotect.com. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and our guest today is Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. We're discussing some of the safety challenges and vulnerabilities in schools and higher education uh, institutions. And when we come back after the break, Michael Yorio will talk with us more about public venues. <laughs>
5: With SRN News, I'm Val Dior. Afghanistan's president is promising to take revenge against the culprits who carried out a suicide attack on a protest march in Kabul. Officials say at least 80 people were killed, more than 230 wounded. ISIS has claimed responsibility for the attack, which targeted a predominantly Shiite ethnic minority. Tim Kaine has used his debut campaign appearance as Hillary Clinton's running mate to introduce himself to voters. At a rally in Miami today, the Virginia senator began his remarks in Spanish. He described his childhood as the son of a Kansas iron worker, his time as a missionary in Honduras, and his past work as a civil rights lawyer in Richmond. He is a former governor of Virginia. And wildfires burning out of control in the mountains north of Los Angeles and near Big Sur on California's scenic central coast, posing a threat to some 3rd 1,300 homes as fires are spreading, and the Southern California firefighters face another day of triple digits.
4: If you're suffering from a chronic health condition, you don't have to live in pain. If you're ready to take your life back, tune in for answers on the Parker Integrative Health Show on Tuesday afternoons at 1 o'clock right here on ninety four seven KRKS. Don't miss your chance to learn life-changing tips that can transform the health of you and your family. Learn how to battle chronic conditions including back pain, diabetes, anxiety, and ADHD. Visit ParkerIntegrativeHealth.com and tune in on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock on ninety four seven KRKS. You've heard Heaven Fest is coming, but you may not have heard the whole story. Heaven Fest is the largest Christian evangelistic event in the seven-state Rocky Mountain region with 30,000 people in attendance. Their heart is to transform lives through the message of the gospel and to reach the most underserved market in the church, the 20- to 30-year-old young adult. Heaven Fest is looking for kingdom-minded people just like you to make a lifelong impact. Get your tickets today at HeavenFest.com and learn how you can get involved to help transform a generation. Heaven Fest, presented by Life of Valor. Visit HeavenFest.com now finances were not designed to bust our marriages, but build our marriages. That's Chris Brown, talking about money from a biblical perspective. There's a world's way of handling money that's rooted in entitlement, and there's God's way of handling money that is rooted in contentment and gratitude.
0: Got a money issue you need help with? Listen to Chris Brown's True Stewardship, managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory.
4: Listen to Chris Brown's True Stewardship, weekday afternoons at 2.30 on 94.7 KRKS. Can the Bible help me during turbulent economic times and reduce or eliminate risk? Discover the answers to
0: your important financial questions from Denver's biblical investment advisor, Colin Richards. Listen Saturday mornings at 830 to hear Colin share the ways financially secure individuals are using principles from God's word to prosper even during market declines. To find out more about Colin, go to lordandrichards.com or contact him directly at 720-3720-400. Don't miss the Lord and Richards radio program, Saturday mornings at 830 on 94.7 KRKS. To learn more about living well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. We're talking with Michael Yorio the president of SSI Guardian, and we're talking about active shooter incidents in different types of environments and talking about schools and colleges. Um, And for many, like myself, these environments are also workplaces. And so what are some of the other things uh, to keep in mind, uh, Michael, in terms of schools, colleges, workplaces? And then I want to talk also about um, public venues and hotels and that kind of thing.
2: So the most important part of the survival mindset is to understand that we are all responsible for our own safety and Mm well-being. And we go very, very deep into this topic uh, in our advanced training. So what we like to say is you, capital Y-O-U, are responsible for your own safety and well-being. So what people learn in our advanced training, Dr. Peg, it's not only specific to their workplace or to their school, but these are life-critical skills that they can take with them in their everyday life, right. and hopefully share with their families, with their friends.
1: So a person may get the training in their workplace, and uh, in terms of what differentiates advanced training and quality training from what else might be out there is, what you learn, even when it's customized, for example, we talked about how important that is for higher education, even when it's customized to your specific workplace, there are still transferable skills that you can apply in, in your everyday life with your family, um, when you're on vacation, when you're out for the weekend. Is that correct?
2: That is absolutely correct. Situational awareness, understanding and recognizing the environment that you're in. Uh, regardless of where you're at, looking for suspicious behavior, for suspicious uh, individuals. So these are things, no matter where we're at in our lives, um, we're we're always observing and recognizing our surroundings. Mm
1: -hmm. Situational awareness. Situational
2: awareness is key. Mm
1: -hmm. Having
2: that plan, even though it's not a formal written plan, but when you uh, or at a, a football game, a movie theater wherever whatever public venue you might be in, having your plan determined in your mind, if something happens, where's my first exit? What's my way out of here? Mm-hmm. And so again, a lot of a lot of basic things that if we think about these on an ongoing basis, they truly do become second nature.
1: Yeah, and then that would be the goal. And as much as this might be uncomfortable to talk about, and um, it's traumatizing for those who've been involved and um, there's even vicarious trauma or secondhand trauma and we we see that especially in the helping professions with first responders for example but I think in in communities um, in Colorado's that's what I'm familiar with there's kind of this community trauma um, starting with Columbine and um, you know The Aurora Theater shooting, for example, uh, is very traumatizing for us as a a community. And so it might be really uncomfortable to relive those feelings and those memories. And yet it's just so critically important, um, as you're saying, for this to become second nature. We don't want to be desensitized to the fact that violence and tragedy has occurred. But we definitely want to have a level of situational awareness, as you're saying, a level of training where it is second nature when we enter a building, we enter our workplace, enter a school, that we, very basic, look around and see where the exits are, Um, be aware of who's around us and kind of even their state of mind. For myself as a psychologist, I'm concerned about people's emotional and psychological well-being and um, knowing that if I can – make a difference to someone in distress today, they may not view suicide, for example, as an option down the road, or they may not view harming others as an option down the road. And so um, this really has to become a part of our our kind of fabric, our, our psyche, and our everyday uh, approach to life, doesn't it?
2: And that's an outstanding point, and you further just stressed the point for the need for professional advanced training
3: mm-hmm.
2: by highly trained security and mental health professionals, because it can be very traumatic. It is a very hard topic to speak about, to discuss, but if done in the appropriate fashion, the training itself does not have to be traumatic. Right. It does not have to be scary. And that that's a really, really big uh, important point that I would like to make with the listeners: that professional training does not involve uh, traumatic activities and examples. It involves fact-based, fact-based situations and providing evidence-based solutions.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and we know in the mental health arena that empowering a trauma survivor, helping them have a sense of empowerment and Efficacy is a good remedy um, to someone who's been for someone who's been traumatized. And so again, um, the the training uh, can help someone not only survive in an active shooter event, um, but where they have been um, a survivor or just in a community where an event has occurred, a tragedy has occurred. Uh, that sense of empowerment that comes from training can help people recover.
2: Okay. If I may, I'd like to share a quick story with everybody. Yeah, we trained a K through 12 school uh, in the Midwest back in the spring, and within 30, 40 days, there was a shooting incident at the neighboring school. So, although this particular facility uh, was not the direct target their neighboring school was, Uh, to your point, uh, in the community, it traumatizes everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, We received a very, very nice letter from the school that we had trained sharing this story with us saying, wow, you guys just trained us. This happened down the street. Uh, We were on lockdown because we were so close to the other facility, but we knew what to do. Our people didn't panic. They followed our plan. So that was very, very rewarding for us to hear. You know, people talk about um, doing things that never happen to use the training, and it's our intent that you receive the training and you don't have to experience such a bad event. But the fact is, you just don't know.
1: Yeah, we've all been to trainings that we felt <laughs> were a waste of our time, <laughs> and um, we we don't see the practical application of the skills. Um, but as you're saying. This is the type of training you receive, and you pray you never have to use it, but you're grateful to God when when something happens that you do know what to do.
2: Without question. And we try to make our trainings fun as well. So uh, we have a great cadre of, uh, of professionals, um, so they do an outstanding job uh, lightening the tone and are, are the perfect team to talk about these very, very difficult situations.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so we've talked about workplace, we've talked about schools. Um, I alluded to some of the similarities with houses of worship, um, but what about when you're at play? Um, you're on vacation. You're enjoying, you know, a night out on the weekend. You might be at a hotel at a club, at a concert, um, what can you tell us about these kinds of environments that, that's different from the environments we've already discussed and, and what, how training would, would be valuable?
2: Well, very challenging in the respect that you're not in a place that you're familiar with. Mm. Therefore, you, you're unaware of that facility's emergency plan. However, the, the, that same situational awareness skill set applies. And that's the great thing about, this, uh, about these skill sets that we teach, that you take these in your life regardless of where you're at. So you can look for essentially similar things. Um, is there a suspicious object somewhere? Did somebody leave a backpack there and it's been there for 20 minutes and somebody you saw somebody drop a backpack and run away? And whether it's a backpack, a suitcase, a box, doesn't matter. Um, is somebody acting quite odd? Has somebody making very, very concerning statements. And in 2016, we just can't, you know, we have to be very, very careful even when we're angered and upset uh, of what we say because things can threaten people and alert folks.
1: Absolutely. So, again, a good point is that while when you're at work or you're a student or a teacher at a school, that's your environment that you're familiar with. And so with situational awareness, hopefully you've already um, gone through the what-if thinking exercise of, okay, I'm aware of my environment, I'm aware of the people around me, I'm aware of the situation. What if right now X, Y, Z happened? Uh, when when you're in your familiar environment, that's easier, and you can even practice that with your team if you're at work or with your family. Um, but when we're in these public places, on vacation, for example, it might be the first time ever we've been to this specific place or even this type of place. But you're saying that skill set of situational awareness is still valuable.
2: It's it's very very valuable. Mm-hmm. Knowing your act thinking through very quickly. If something happens, where my exits are, and if there's an incident in the front, I'm going out the side, I'm going out the back. Uh, if it's coming from the, the rear of the restaurant, I'm going out the front entrance. Uh, one thing I do when I'm at restaurants and uh, sometimes my guest uh, drives them nuts is I won't sit with my back to the door um, because I can see everything coming from that direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, all yeah, it past
1: yeah, all <laughs> of that is good stuff. and so. We can be responsible for ourselves uh, as you've said and certainly when we're with our families if we've got that training we should be talking about it with our families and even though when we're we're out with our family on vacation, let's say for example um, we can become in effect the leader in a, in a in a situation if if it really only takes one person to be well trained to make a difference doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. Uh, if you're with your family, if you're with a group of friends, and God forbid you're in a violent situation such as what we've been talking about, um, your actions, you do become the leader and you can guide your, uh, your, your group uh, to safety. Uh, you can advise them simple things. Silence your phone. Um, especially if it's if it's in a uh, area where uh, there's, it's not a loud theater, but in a restaurant or somewhere, if there's an active shooter, he's going to go to where your phone rings.
1: Mm. Yeah, we've seen we've seen that um, um, in the Planned Parenthood when the incident when they interviewed um, the the shooter, he talked about listening for the phone. So there's a lot of little tips you can learn with the right training. Uh, you're listening to Living Well with Doctor Pegg. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and my guest today is Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian. Our topic is responding to an active shooter and having the appropriate training. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
4: Schools can no longer afford not to invest in a professional, evidence-based, advanced safety education training program. It's the single most important decision and investment a school administrator will ever make in their professional career. When all else fails, training and preparation are the only things that will increase your chances of survival in a violent incident, such as an active shooter or active terrorism. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based, advanced training programs tailored to your needs. While there are many basic training programs largely based on opinion and emotion... SSI Guardian is the only advanced training program of its type with an accredited continuing education unit, or CEU, issued by an accredited university. SSI Guardian has set the new standard in advanced safety education by providing evidence-based advanced training and solutions to learning institutions, faith-based and professional organizations. To learn more, call SSI Guardian today at 877-878-5800 or visit guardianprotect.com.
0: To learn more about Living Well with Dr. Pegg, visit drpegradio.com. And now, Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell Clark, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. We're talking with Mr. Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, and you can learn more about SSI Guardian at guardianprotect.com. And so, Michael, we're talking about how a lot of what we're learning, these skill sets, can be applied in different environments. They really empower us as individuals, but also we can make a difference in a crisis uh, when we're trained. We can guide people. We can make suggestions. We can kind of model, and hopefully people will follow when they get the sense that this person knows what they're doing. Um, But it's really in the middle of a crisis is not the time to figure out a plan, is it? Uh, how, how important is planning and, and preparation?
2: Planning and preparation are the two most important parts of a comprehensive security plan, regardless of your environment. It all start, starts with planning, training, and then practicing mm-hmm. uh, what you've been trained to do and practicing your plan and we run into this all the time, Dr. Pegg. Uh We speak with, with schools, with, with organizations, and they're, they're proud that they have this emergency operation plan. It's brand spanking new. It's shiny, but no one knows the plan. Mm-hmm. we ask where's the plan, it's in somebody's file cabinet or one person knows the plan, uh, which is really not a plan. So it's, planning and preparation are absolutely critical.
1: Hmm. And it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. I think that we've em- emphasized that. You've emphasized that um, throughout the program. Um, it's not a one-size. Just do this, do this, do this. And and a lot of people, um, thankfully, are becoming more familiar with uh, uh, get out, hide out, you know, take out or evacuate, hide out, take action. However, it's phrased. More and more people are learning about that. Um, but those options are not always available, and so that's why it is so important to be flexible and, and know that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution.
2: That's right. It's 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 critical to have options in a crisis situation, and you, the individual, can select your best option at that moment in time.
1: Mm-hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about um, some other solutions and responses that, um, we don't always talk about when we're having these conversations. Um, you know, we, we can talk about get out, hide out, you know, take action. Um, but often there are injured people. Um, and we talked about each person being empowered and, in effect, is becomes an immediate responder. Uh, so what kinds of solutions are available for the average citizen who, who tragically finds himself in the midst of an active shooter um, crisis unfolding, and there are injured people around them, or maybe even they themselves are injured. What kinds of solutions are available?
2: So that's a great question, Dr. Peggy. And I would say that being an immediate responder is not germane to a active terror or a violent incident such as an active shooter. It can be just a normal day, and there's an accident. Mm. And someone has injured themselves uh, in a serious manner. They're, they've incurred serious bleeding, for example. So we've brought a market, or we've brought a product to the market: uh, trauma kits that are absolutely critical. And every classroom in America should have an individual uh, trauma kit in the classroom. Every organization should have these products as well.
1: Mm. Can you describe what it does? D- d- describe them for us.
2: Sure, absolutely. So these products are the same products that are used by our soldiers
3: mm.
2: products that are used on the battlefield, such as tourniquets, quick clocks, things that will help you save someone's life. A person can bleed to death between one and six minutes depending upon the severity of their wound. The average EMS response response time at the national level is more than eight minutes mm. So it's it's quite a risk. The numbers are not on our side, obviously. So it's important as we're all considered immediate responders. What can we do? What actions can we take to save people before first responders can arrive and take meaningful action? So for your listeners, think of a basic first aid kit. Um, and times that by one or two million (laughs) professional products that are used by soldiers that are used in hospitals by professionals that are used by first responders. So this is the same caliber of product that's currently being used by first responders.
1: But accessible to the average person.
2: Accessible to the average person. And just like situational awareness and preparing for the traumatic events you need a basic level of understanding of how to use these products.
1: Mm-hmm. So, again, so the value of training.
2: For example, applying a tourniquet, uh, which is not difficult, uh, but if you've never done it, you may have difficulty doing it in a crisis situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you start to panic or there's noise or you're on the ground or maybe you have lost uh, use of one of your limbs and trying to assist someone else. And so... Um, again going to require training
2: absolutely regardless of the incident we may incur um, what we do before first responders can get there will make all the difference mm-hmm. and whether it's, it's helping a friend uh, who, who's bleeding helping a coworker, worker uh, or evacuating or hiding out to save your own life
1: mm-hmm. well and is there a role for other types of technology and keeping us safe, and, you know, that's kind of medical technology or medical devices, but um, what kinds of technology solutions, like software, for example, um, are available um, for workplaces or schools uh, as part of this comprehensive plan that you've been talking about?
2: Communications are of paramount importance. One thing we learned at 9-11, we learned numerous things, but the one thing we learned the ability for communications to be integrated is vital. So, there are technologies out there. Um, one we provide in our solution portfolio called ReadyOpt that will integrate your communications between your organization and first responder. So, you're operating on the same communication platform as your local police, let's say, which helps reduce response time. It operates in the cloud, operates off of smartphones. So anybody can send an alert. It's pre-programmed to people within your organization, within your school district, within your school, and first responders. So try doing everything we can to reduce that response time. So that's a great example of how, tech- how technology uh, can play a part mm-hmm. in preparation.
1: So you're not just calling from a office phone, per se. It's um, almost like a more direct Um, communication line to law enforcement or first responders.
2: Correct. It's an app that would go on your phone uh, and at a press of a button, Mm. uh, you alert. And it's pre-programmed. So uh, in a school or organization, for an example, uh, you may have an active shooter alert. People talk about panic buttons, um, which are good. Uh, The the challenge with a panic button, if I press a panic button, all does Law enforcement know what the threat is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Is it something on a scale of one to ten? Is it a one? Is it a ten? They truly don't know. Um, calling nine one one is still uh, very very effective. However, um, a there is a lag time. We're giving information to the dispatch. They're recording information. It's in a panic situation. People do not always speak clearly. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of cases, it elongates, and in these incidents, seconds are precious.
1: Right, right. Well, there there's so many solutions out there. Um, we could even simply have a law enforcement expert do a walkthrough of our facility, our office, our school, um, and kind of let us know some of the missing pieces. Um, but there's still so many options to sort through, and so it does, it does help to have a – comprehensive solution um, it's not just about the right locks or the right training or the right technology it's really is putting all the pieces together for your needs in your specific environment
2: absolutely and and I, I know we're getting close on time here but doing your doing effective due diligence mm-hmm. is very important um, there are a lack of standards so if I'm the superintendent of a school and I'm talking to multiple technology providers, Um, how do I really know which one best suits my needs? So it's imperative that you get the uh, opinion and advice from a trained professional and that when you're making these decisions, you ask for proof. You follow a set of criteria. And, in fact, our company, we've established a set of criteria, and we implore uh, customers uh, to apply it to us and any other organization they may be looking at, either on the training side or product solution side, to make sure that you're getting best practice uh, solutions that perform to the level that they state they will perform at. Very, very important.
1: Mm -hmm. So we can no longer put our heads in the sand, say it won't happen here, could never happen here. Um, I'll just pray and trust nothing happens here. We have to be proactive, not only as individuals, to take responsibility for our own safety and that of our families. But when we're in the workplace, when we're a manager, we're a principal, uh, we're a CEO, whatever our role might be, um, we need to be proactive to find the right solutions for our environment, for our our customers, our students, uh, our families, whoever we're dealing with. And so um, it sounds like SSI Guardian is a a great option. Uh, My my guest today has been Michael Yorio, president of SSI Guardian, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. And this episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg was brought to you by SSI Guardian. You can get in touch with them at guardianprotect.com. Thank you so much, Michael Yorio, for being my guest today.
2: Thank you, Dr. Pegg. Be safe.
1: Thanks so much. You as well. Again, you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Check us out every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. Living Well with Dr. Peg is brought to you by SSI Guardian, who has set the new standard in advanced safety education. If you'd like to learn more about the show, our sponsor, or mental health consulting and publishing services, visit www.drpegradio.com. Remember to join us every Saturday at 1 p.m. on 94.7 KRKS-FM for Living Well with Dr. Pegg.